everyone. My name is Estuza. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. I'll put this down, otherwise I'll fiddle with it. <laughs> Thank you so much to Michael Blanc for asking me to speak. Uh, and it's been an honor to be co-secretary at this meeting. And we're coming up on the end of our term. And I'm grateful for service. And I'm grateful for you guys. And I'm grateful for a home group and... I'm feeling really grateful today and really emotional today and a little bit out of my body and my heart's racing like 200 beats a minute. And that's okay. That's okay. I'm just going to share my experience, strength, and hope because it's the only one I have. And um, if you've heard my story before, I made up a new one. So today it's totally different. Um, Let's see. Let's get some numbers out of the way because I always like to get the numbers out of the way first. I, let me see, my top weight was way over 200 pounds, so like a size 16 probably. And today I'm somewhere between a 10 and a 12. And I fluctuate. I fluctuate to a small 10 to a big 12. So somewhere, somewhere around there tends to be um, where, I, where I rest. And in order to be a lot smaller, um, I have to restrict, and that messes with my head. <laughs> and so for today... I have to accept where I am, and that'll get into a little bit about, you know, just why I've been feeling so emotional for the past few weeks, and I'll share that with you, because I think that's a part of recovery, too. And the voice of my particular disease is mean, it's abusive, it's shaming, it's loud, it's pervasive, and it's the voice of, it's your fault, you're never good enough. You will never be good enough. And additionally, life is passing you by and you, you don't have anything to show for it. So that's sort of like the lovely person who lives <laughs> over here. So I need all of you guys and God and steps and program and prayer and meditation and all of my tools to just sort of calm that down on a daily basis because when this gets loud, it shows up on my plate. And I'm a volume, volume eater. Like, I eat like a trucker. Like, no, no joke. 15, 20,000 calorie binges uh, are my story. Like, entire pumpkins of Halloween candy. Uh, 13 donuts at a time, because that's how much a baker's dozen was, right? Uh, can we talk about food in here? Awesome. So, <laughs> um, you know, 13 bagels at a time, and entire cakes at a time, and entire pizzas at a time. And just that, closing the drapes, sitting on the couch, screw the world, me and my food. And it's a really old um, coping mechanism. It's a really old crutch for a really old hurt. And that was the one I happened to pick up, you know. For today, alcohol does not excite me. I'm not an oversexer, much to my husband's dismay. Um, uh, you know, drugs, like, didn't really call to me. Not that those are good and overeating, you know, or bad and overeating is good. It just happens to be that that's what was available. That's what was accessible. That's what was abundant. And I was a really good kid. So I did, like, what was legal, right? I did what was legal. And I grew up in a... I was born in Iran. We left Iran when I was really little. 
and we moved to England. And we moved quickly. It was like a revolution is coming, Shah is getting over, overthrown, dangerous, leave. And it was like, wow, what? You know, my mom was nine months pregnant and we smuggled onto a plane and we went to England and we settled there. And the goal was always to get to America. But it took my entire elementary school to get a green card. So I basically was raised in England. And I grew up with like English white people in a countryside. And I don't look so English countryside-ish. So I was always sort of different. And we were super fresh off the boat. My mom had an accent. Uh, my dad spoke really good English. He was handsome and charismatic, raging alcoholic. Um, I grew up with extreme um, abuse. And if you want the details, you can call me. Um, and so I learned that I was different, and I learned that the world wasn't safe, and I learned that I don't fit in, and I turned to the food. And my mom was a compulsive overeater, and she was mean. Like, my mom was mean. <laughs> like, no one, uh, no one believed me that my mom was mean until one time my aunt said, your mom was mean. And then a cousin said it to me the other day, like, I remember your mom was mean. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I wasn't the only one who thought my mom was mean. I thought it was just... It was just me. And we lived there, and then we got our green card. And I'm, I'm living with this awful abuse going on, and a mom who's me, and a dad who's sick, and feeling really different. And we got our green card. And it was like, all right, time to move to America, what we've been waiting for for all these years. And my dad moved to the States. He started setting up shop. And it was me and my mom and my brother. And I went to school one morning, and my mom wasn't feeling well. And she was always depressive, so her not feeling well didn't mean much to me. Like, oh, she's in bed again. Okay, I'm going to school. And she said something like, can you get me something to eat? And I went downstairs, and I made her something, and I plopped it in front of her. And I went to school. I got on the bus, and I went to school. And I came back from school, and my brother said, something's wrong with mom. Come upstairs. And I went upstairs, and she was dead. And she had died, obviously, very suddenly, because she was still holding what she was holding in her hand, like it was obvious that she had dropped. And I was like, what, like, what is going on here? Like, I'd never, I'd never seen a dead person before. <laughs> it was, my dad wasn't around, it was me and my little brother, and the house was in boxes, and it was cold, and it was four o'clock in England, like, that's like a dark, rainy time. <laughs> And I just remember, and it's, it's so sad because I, I have a 13-year-old right now, and I, I, I look at the innocence and naivete and lack of experience of a 13-year-old, right? I thought that she was so cold, like she had been dead for hours and hours. And I thought that somehow if I could warm her up, she'd come back to life. So I, I tried to defrost her. You know, and like put her hands in hot water and put her feet in hot water. And she wasn't coming back. She was not coming back. And it was at that moment that I learned that the world was not safe. Now, the world hadn't been safe to begin with because of everything that was going on in the home. But the world was not a safe place. And my world could change like this. And I needed to guard myself with protection from the unsafety of this world. And so we buried her. My dad came back and we buried her. We had a funeral. And by the time the period of mourning was done, I was in America 
enrolled at a school in Beverly Hills in second semester of eighth grade. Okay, talk about culture shock. Like, I, I'd never seen so many Persians in my life. I was like, <laughs> like what, what just happened? You know, and, and they spoke Farsi, and there was a whole little climate, and there were, it was bizarre, and it was hard. It was really hard, and the food got me through, and the abuse continued. It wasn't like the abuse stopped. It got worse, except now I'm in a new country and with new friends, and I continued to eat, and I continued to eat massive portions, and I continued to eat in secret and in shame. And people would sort of be like, oh, your face is so pretty. If you could just, you know, work, work a little bit, you know, on your body and lose some weight. And I couldn't do it. And it seemed like everyone in my life was on a plight to help me lose weight. <laughs> it was like that was everyone's goal. Like no one else had a job or things to worry about, but let's micromanage Atusa's body. And so I would go, my aunt, God bless her, uh, would pay for me to go to Weight Watchers meetings. And um, I would take the $7 meeting fee, go to 7-Eleven, binge, right, with the $7. And then she'd come pick me up and she'd be like, how was the meeting? I'd be like, great, right? And then after a couple of months, she's like, oh, honey, I don't think this is working for you. And I later made amends to her to the tune of a couple hundred dollars worth of $7 meeting fees uh, that, I, that I paid her back and we had a good laugh. But food was just my friend and uh, finished high school, met this amazing man, I got married and uh, I binged. I continued to binge. I binged through college and, and my husband would sort of come home and see the binge plastered on my face. It was like being married to an alcoholic, like coming home and like smelling the liquor, but not quite seeing the bottles, but seeing it on your partner's face. And he didn't get it. Like he, he's completely normal. You know, thank God. He's, he's, he doesn't overeat. He doesn't overdrink. He doesn't overwork. He, he like got the normal gene. And it, it's baffling to me, but, but he, and he would try to help me. You know, he was like, do you, do you need a treadmill? Like, wh- how, how can I help you? You know, like, he didn't, he didn't know what to do. And he still doesn't know what to do, God, God bless him. And so I had a kid, and I loved being pregnant. I hated having a newborn. She was so inconvenient. And she, she, like, she got in the way of my binges. And so I would put her to sleep, and I would surround myself with massive quantities of food and eat. And then I would diet. And then I would eat. And then I would diet. And I would pay. I've probably spent, I don't even know how many tens of thousands of dollars on, on diets. On the Weight Watchers and the Jenny Craig multiple times. And the Gloria Marshall. And the uh, Nutrisystem. And the shakes and the diets. And then back to Weight Watchers. And, and it was just this, you are not good enough. And come Monday morning, we're going to do something about this. Because you're not good enough. Your body's not good enough. And truth be known, I, I, I have a sense, I have body dysmorphia, but I have it both ways, right? I can eat a salad and feel like I lost 45 pounds. I can eat a cookie and feel like I gained 80. There is no normalcy in my head when it comes to the food and the body. And so, um, my kids started preschool, 
And I'm still dieting and binging and dieting and binging and hating everybody. And I was so angry. I was angry. I was angry at my childhood. I was angry at my mother. I was angry at immigration twice. Nobody got me. Nobody got me but the food. And I had the, my kids started preschool and I became a chairperson of the candy committee. Um, we, we did a world's finest chocolate sale of one dollar candy bars and I volunteered to be chairperson because I'm very service oriented. And uh, I think by the end of the sale I owed the school some ludicrous amount of money. Uh, which I paid. I had no problem paying as long as it got me my drug, right? And I was like the number one seller of these chocolates to myself, basically, in essence. And I remember one night I had like 10 in a row. And I called my friend Rose the next day and I was like, Rose, do you know I ate like 10 of those bars last night? And she was like, ew. And she goes, did you feel sick? I was like, no. She's like, did it hurt your stomach? Like, no. She's like, oh. Did you throw it up? I was <laughs> like, no. But did I want to kill myself? Was I utterly demoralized and shamed and out of ideas? And I just, I didn't know what to do, my, do with myself. And this was with therapy and eating disorder specialists. And like, there was no lack of outside help, you guys. Like, I had, like, a boatload of outside help. I still have a freaking boatload of outside help. Um, but it just, it wasn't working. And she was like, you need to go to OA. And I was like, what in the world is OA? That is one I haven't heard. And she was like, it's Overeaters Anonymous. And I remember thinking it was, like, the unsexiest name I've ever heard for any organization in my life. Like, Overeaters, ew. And she was like, go, go, you should go, you should go, you should go, you should go. And it was super promotion rather than attraction, and I wanted to hit her. Uh, but I went. And I got myself to the Harvard 6.30 meeting, and I stayed. I stayed. Like, something about that meeting resonated with me. I heard people talk about the shame and the binges and the not eating. There were old-timers in there. It was really cool. And I did absolutely no work. So I did not understand the big book. Uh, I had a sponsor that I didn't really understand the sponsor-sponsee relationship. It was like, are you a therapist? Are you a Weight Watchers leader? Like, what are you? Like, I couldn't quite place what the sponsor relationship was. And all I did was come back for a year. For one year, all I did was come back and eat three meals or something like that. Um, and I got some weight loss and I got a little bit of relief, but I didn't work the steps. And so I got pregnant with my second kid, had the baby, and was knee-deep in a binge. Like knee-deep in a binge. And I remember specifically, I was wearing these big gap sweats, uh, nursing, baby on my shoulder, five-year-old, pantry door open, and I couldn't get it in fast enough. And I couldn't, I couldn't find the right combinations. Like I am... I'm a food pharmacist. Like, I can put together concoctions of salt and sugar and carb and, and just make it the perfect drug. And I didn't have the right ingredients. So <laughs> I was like, ah, I was trying to get it all together. And I ended up, it was in May, and I had a box of leftover matzah. And I think I had, like, two boxes of matzah and an entire tub of butter. And I remember the, the butter, like, it got in my hair, and I was so involved with the binge holding the baby, um, that I couldn't even wipe the butter off of my hair. So to this day, 
like the smell of rancid dairy or butter, it just, it takes me back, takes me back to that last binge. And I was done. I was out of ideas. And I called Jeannie. I don't know if you guys have met Jeannie. Some of you probably have. And Jeannie was sort of scary. Uh, she was, she was a hundred pounder. She worked the program. And I called her. I was like, Jeannie, I cannot stop eating. Like, please sponsor me. And she said, I've got so many sponsees right now, but here's the name of a woman who can sponsor you. Call her. She'll sponsor you. And I was like, fine. And I called this woman, and I was like, hi, my name's Atusa. Please call me back. Click. A couple hours later, hi, my name's Atusa in program. Please call me back. Right? And I think I called her five times in six hours. And poor woman. <laughs> she called me back, and, and she was like, yeah, I can sponsor you. And she, without meeting me, without knowing me, without looking, knowing what I look like, she just said, I will sponsor you. I'll take you through the steps. Um, I need to go to three meetings a week, pick up two service commitments, call me every day when you say you're going to call me, let's figure out a food plan, and just don't lie to me. Like, I'm not your mom. I'm not your therapist. I won't loan you money, but I'll take you through the steps. I was like, okay, all right. And she had, like, a normal body, like, when I met her. I remember the first meal she ate, we ate together, and she had a normal body, and she ate a normal meal, and it wasn't like chicken breast with a side of spinach and water. Like, she ate a meal, right? And she, she sponsored me for nine years. For nine years, this woman sponsored me, took my call twice a day for the first four years, because a whole 24 hours without binging was way too much for me. And we worked steps, and my life got bigger, and my life got better, and I developed a relationship with God, and the weight started coming down, and my career started taking shape, and I had another baby, and my marriage got better, and it was like, wow, all of this without the diets, you know, without the get on the scale, let me weigh you so I can tell you what your self-worth is for today, based on that number. And... The program has continued for me for the past 17 years in that same light. And a lot has gone down in 17 years. You know, the, the anger that I came into the program with, I was angry. And I was becoming mean like my mother. <laughs> God rest her soul. And my father passed away just a few months ago in March. And the level of forgiveness and showing up, and speaking at his memorial and helping to pay for the funeral and having a relationship with people in my family who I had visions of them being run over by, by trucks. Like I was like, this is what you deserve. And I'm cordial and I'm kind and I see eye to eye with these people and, and a humility that without program, I wouldn't have. I just, I wouldn't have it. And my marriage, like it, it, we just celebrated 26 years, it would not have happened. Like, we were on the brink of getting a very ugly separation around seven years into my marriage. And because I wasn't present, you know. And at one point, he, he actually asked me, he's like, are you having an affair? And I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, no. He's like, you're not here. You're distracted. You're, you're, you're not here. You're not in our marriage. And if there's another guy, then go. It's fine. I get it. You know, we'll share custody. Go. And there was no guy. But this disease is worse than an affair. It's, it's pervasive and it's secretive and it's get it to me, but don't let anyone know. And then it's the self-hatred, but it's fun while I'm doing it. It's, it's awful, right? And I've had a week this week where... 
just haven't been feeling so great physically, and that shameful voice has awoken just in time for me to speak at Kitchen Sink. And it's brutal, you guys, to think that I lived with that voice every single day until I came into program. I've only had it for like five days now, but it's awful. Like, it's, it's so mean, and it's so unkind, and it's so untrue. And thank God for a sponsor. So Heidi moved, sponsored me for nine years, then moved to Ohio, got married, had a kid, really selfish. And (laughs) another woman started sponsoring me who's now coming up on eight years. So Leslie's been sponsoring me for eight years. And and Leslie is alcoholic, you know, um, and in in OA, and she works a rockin' program. She works a rockin' program, and I call her several times a week. She knows what's going on with me. She knows what's going on with my food. I sponsor a lot of women. I um, do a lot of service. do a lot of service. I pick up the phone, and I want to pick up the phone. I sponsor imperfectly. I don't have the kind of life where I can be like, call me at 8 or 8.10 and 8.20, and I'm sitting by the phone waiting for calls, which I would love. I can't do it. So I talk to my sponsees. It's um, it's imperfect. I love them. They keep me in check. And they allow me to pass on what I've learned and also to work what I've learned because I'm not going to tell them to do something that I'm not doing. Um, morning meditation and ritual has been huge for me because I open my eyes scanning for what's wrong. <laughs> I don't open my eyes and go, oh, good morning, world. I go like, fuck, what's happening today? Like... Uh, sorry. <laughs> Hope Leslie's not listening to this. Um, and I scan for the one thing today that's going to bother me. And sometimes it's my body, like, oh, yeah, we've we got to work on that. Monday morning Weight Watchers. 17 years in program, and I'm still looking for the Monday morning Weight Watchers. It's insane. It's insane. And so I wake up in the morning before I turn on the phone. Um, get ready, go downstairs, do my prayer and meditation. It's 10 minutes of writing, 10 minutes of reading something, gratitude list, 1 to 10 or 1 to 20. Um, And making a list of how I want my day to go, so a list of intentions, and then turning it over. Um, Because if I don't start my day with that groundedness, I'm off. You know, I'm off in body obsession and self-hatred, which shows up on my plate, which shows up on my behavior, which shows up in more self-hatred and then back on my plate. So I have to stop that cycle. So thanks for letting me share.